NBA hybrid podcast brought to you by Jalen Lutze, Kyle Stein, and me, Michael Kimball. We are here in week 17, just after the trade deadline. It's still the Bucks in the East, though Toronto has won 15 in a row, Boston 7 in a row, and the Pacers have lost 6 in a row unexpectedly. While nobody cares at all about the 7 and 8 seeds in the West, it's still the Lakers. But there are some interesting challenges to the throne forming, in part because of the trade deadline, uh, from the Nuggets, Clippers, uh, the Jazz, who have turned it around, uh, interestingly enough, the Rockets, and the Thunder, who stood pat. The trade season. Let's get into the big one. Four teams, 12 players. The Rockets got Covington and Bell, who Bell, who was quickly traded out. The Hawks got Capella. The Wolves got Beasley and Hernan Gomez, as well as uh, Evan Turner and Vanderbilt. The Nuggets got Napier, who they flipped to the Wiz, as well as Bates Diop, Vonley, and Green. It's a lot of players. It's a lot of moves. The biggest piece here, the two big pieces here, really, the Rockets getting Covington, who they've been chasing ever since they let him go from their G League team, and the Hawks get the five they've been looking for in Capella. What do you think? We talked just a couple weeks ago saying that Capella was really the only movable piece. and We did call it on this pod. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how great a prognosticators we really are because it was the only move that they could have made sure. and they've been telegraphing it for six months. But Two years? Two years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they've been trying to trade him forever. <laughs> and I'm still not sure it will actually make them better. Uh, they came out of the gates in those first couple games and Covington looked miraculous. And, yeah. uh, and since then they, you know, they, they lost a buzzer beater to the jazz. Um, and another buzzer beater. And they lost another buzzer beater. And they, I, yeah, I don't know where to go with it. I mean, I don't know. We don't <laughs> have, we don't have enough returns. Here, here's one. Yet. So like Covington looked great right like he looked like he had already been playing on this team for a while and looked like he had to make them better one of my questions here is tucker tucker's moved up to the five explicitly full-time he seems to be logging more minutes there than he was in the past one of the things that struck me about the ends of both of those games they lost Tucker looked blasted at the end. Yeah, he's not Just Draymond Green. completely wiped out. You know, it's a thing we see when the, the Rockets get to the playoffs every year. And I love the full commitment to the extreme small ball, but they already look worn out to me. <laughs> We're only a couple games in. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because I feel like for whatever reason, all of the conversations this year keep coming back to the ratings and what the fans want and what they're not getting. Um, and one of the popular complaints about the NBA has been this homogenous style of play, uh, which I don't think is accurate, but the Rockets are basically going in the complete opposite direction yeah. of that sort of homogenous style of play. They're still spacing the floor. They're still shooting a lot of threes, but they've completely abandoned the center position. They don't really have a traditional center on the roster besides their two backups in Hartenstein. Um and I'm forgetting the older guy used to play for the Mavs. Oh, Tyson Chandler. Tyson Chandler, yeah. Uh, champion Tyson Chandler. Um, <laughs> exactly. And and those guys aren't going to play that much. They're going to play yeah. spot minutes. They're not really a part of the, the rotation. And so, only if a massive big is tearing them up, right? Like, yeah. That's the only time you're bringing those guys in. 
And I think the popular quote from D'Antoni has been, we're not going to blink. We're going to see who's going to blink first. We're going to play our game and, and make other people adjust to us. And like you're saying, Kyle, I don't think there's enough of a sample here for us to draw any major conclusions. They lost in a buzzer beater to the Jazz. Um, they, they got blown out by the Suns. I don't know really what happened there. I don't think Westbrook was playing in that game. Yeah, he was um, out. And they beat the Rock. I mean, I mean they beat the Lakers. So... Um, not enough return on investment yet. We don't really know what the situation is, but I think what's interesting about this move and I don't think is being talked about much is they're asking their two worst defenders in James Harden and Russell Westbrook now (laughs) to put in more effort on the defensive end. Uh, like their defensive system in the past was essentially, is that true? Are they actually asking for them to play more defense or they just assume that they can win without it? Well, I mean, maybe, maybe you're I right. I it not entirely facetiously. But maybe isn't it, it implicit? It has, like, like, it has to be more of a team defense if you're going with five smaller guys. There's yeah. nobody I do, but I, I wonder rim. to what extent D'Antoni, yeah. Maury, the whole organization really thinks that they can get more out of them. It, it raises an interesting question because what I would love to see, and they, I saw nothing of this from the Rock, it's just sort of, yes, we're committing to this. There's math in play here that they have and they haven't shown us. I'm expecting it to come up toward the end of the season after they've been knocked out of the playoffs and they'll show is us this some math. math like their final two minute report. Yeah. 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 Of course it is. What, else you, what, what do you think they're going to do? They're playing on the margins by going to this extreme and we've watched the math fail them season after season. Yeah, I mean, I think the math is basically they're trading threes for twos, right? So they're enticing you to get to the basket and score in the paint. And so if you're going to be making your twos, you have to make them at a much higher percentage than they do on their threes. So essentially they're saying we only have to win like a certain number of these possessions if we're pushing you to take all of your shots in the paint that are twos. And, you know, they presumably are just going to be running people off the three-point line at will and just trying to push everyone to the lane and make it tough on them to finish uh, in the paint. And, I mean, we've seen this work before. When the Warriors beat the Thunder, I think in a couple games in that series, the the Thunder out-rebounded them. They scored more from two. The Warriors just hit a ton of threes. Klay Thompson went off for all of those threes in that pivotal game six. So we've seen it work before, but also the Warriors have – Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, two of the best shooters in history. Uh, and even James Harden, the team's best player, has always been an average, slightly above average in his best seasons, three-point shooter, so it's not the same thing. Um, so, I mean, I'm skeptical about the math, but I do think that it'll be exciting to watch. Like, they're playing a different style. And I think, I don't know, to me it would be strange for them to fully – think that they don't have to ask all of their players, not only <laughs> James Harden and Russell Westbrook, but all of them to do more on defense because they're not going to play with a center. So, like, that means yeah. they're going to have to gang rebound. Like, how how could you beat the Warriors when they went small with Draymond Green? You'd beat them up on the glass. Uh, you get yeah. out in transition. You know, uh, they had a tendency to foul. They didn't get to the free throw line much themselves. But it's going to be the same thing. You got to beat the Rockets up on the glass. They don't have a history of getting back with James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I think they're like 27th in the league uh, <laughs> in fast break defense. So like, they they have to they they have to rebound as a team. They have to fly around to run guys off the three point line on defense. Someone said um, they're they're playing like a junk defense. Like they're just they're right. trying to get you to take right. twos instead of threes. They're trying to like run, just get chaos, get a lot of steals, get out in transition. What Westbrook is great in transition. So it'll be interesting. Like, 
I've been saying this all year. Like, if the Rockets want to win, <laughs> Russell Westbrook and James Harden are going to have to play defense. They're going to have to play smart. Um, they're going to have to do things that they don't normally do. And I think all of these trades that we're going to discuss today kind of relate back to other trades or other maneuvers. The Rockets traded for Russell Westbrook in the summer. Uh, they traded Chris Paul to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And what that meant was they they didn't have room for Clint Capella because they had two non-shooters on the floor. James right. Harden was getting doubled at half court. Westbrook wasn't really good enough to, to play four on three um, with C- Capella in the paint, in the paint, kind of mucking up the spacing. So they had to get rid of Capella. Right. Harden wasn't using as many screens recently. They were just going straight ISO. Um, yeah, they'd almost completely dropped it. He was down yeah. to like two a game or something yeah, crazy. They, they were down to the bottom of the league compared to where they were right. in years past. So, yeah, I mean, it was it's it's, it's a domino effect of that trade, and yeah. it seems odd to like now build your team around its second best player, but at the same time. Harden has been struggling for the last month, so it, it well, you almost don't have a choice. And you have to accommodate the non-shooter. Let's like let's that. consider one thing though yeah. with this, because I do think that it's underappreciated how much this might be about matchups. Because they, I think this makes they oddly played great against the Lakers in the that giant fir- Lakers. in the in the first game <laughs> after the trade. I don't think that that holds up in the playoffs. I I think that it's a um, seven game issue. I think it's a seven game issue. I think that I think they'll get run down partly over seven games. But I also think that um, LeBron can dictate tempo and slow down the game. And you know, think back to what he did with the Cavs. How he it was they were able to run out bigger lineups against the Warriors when everyone said those won't won't work, and then they worked. For two games when he had no stars with him in 2015 and then it worked for you know in the seven game series for winning four games in 2016 and I do you know and this is a team the Rockets who will not have the same kind of talent that the that the Warriors did in at that time but I you know I only say that to point out the matchup against the Clippers because I do think that it potentially makes them better against the Clippers and they might be banking on facing them and why specifically the clippers i they're the team to beat okay. i think that you can you can make a, a case I mean, the clippers went exactly in the opposite direction in a sense that the rockets did so further the the extreme matchup we're talking about here in well they went bigger they picked up morris right but they still they still run smaller they still run primarily wings and even Harrell is more of a wing size player sure. who who has you know sort of the game of you know a post game um yeah I, I don't mean, know I don't think that they got bigger I actually think that moving to Marcus Morris signaled that they were going to play more wing heavy lineups and I wonder if you'll see Zubats less I possible. think I think the Clippers have the most diversity um they have the most wing guys as we're saying they have Kawhi PG now they have Morris. Morris is a much better shooter than Harkless. Obviously, they have um, Shamit. Obviously, they have Lou Will. Obviously, they have uh, Patrick Beverly, who we've seen guard up. He guarded KD in the playoffs to not great avail, but um, you know we've seen him do it before. Yeah, we've seen him do it before and have some success at it. So I think that you're right to say that this move was made with the Clippers in mind because I do think you have to have like enough uh, because. The team that could, 
I think the team that could play small and run Capella off the floor in the West is the Clippers. I'm not sure any other team would really be able to do that or want to do that. Like the Lakers, even if they go small, that means AD's on the floor. I think Capella, right. maybe he's not going to stop AD, but he'll be able to – there's someone for him to guard on the floor. It, the Nuggets, they have Jokic. The Jazz, they're not taking Rudy Gobert off the floor. If the Jazz take Rudy Gobert off the floor, they've lost. Like right. They've lost mentally – uh, that's that's their whole identity defensively. So they're not taking him off the floor. Um, maybe the Thunder can play small. They have three guards, but the Rockets are probably thinking we're better than them anyway, so we're not right. really worried about them. So I think you're right to say that and this Chris move Ball was made with wait. the Clippers in mind. <laughs> and to a certain extent, you know, I, I think that's being generous to say that this is, is a move to that they necessarily think could win them a championship. I think it's also in part a desperation move. But... Well, they, they realized what they had wasn't it. The yeah. one so team, try something. Yeah, else. the one team that they can point to and say, no matter what, significant star talent, which we have, is not going to beat them, is the Clippers. And then everyone else, they're just kind of like, we're just going to lean on our strengths and say that your strengths aren't great enough that you can just punch us out. Right. Yeah, and I think they've oddly matched up well with the Clippers. They've played them. I think they've won one or two games. I know they've beaten the Clippers once so far this year. The Lakers haven't beaten them. They've like matched up pretty well with them so far in the regular season. But I do think I would I bet they're also thinking that this makes them uh better against the Lakers somehow. Like I think that they they bet that their small ball will win out. Like in the game, the Lakers downsized and they played toward to the Rockets' strength. Uh, AD was the one playing at center. And I think it's a fair question whether or not AD can punish Clint Capella. I mean, sorry, not Clint Capella, PJ Tucker or Robert Covington, whoever is the nominal five uh, in that lineup, like time and time again. We've seen Draymond guard AD. And it is, it is a result of the rules. Like this has been pointed out ad nauseum by now. You can play more physical in the post. Uh, as a defender than you can on the perimeter Draymond is going to push AD and they're they're not going to call that so it's like AD he's kind of he's got skinny legs you know that center of gravity thing same thing with Kristaps Porzingis who isn't great on post-ups obviously AD's a lot better but it's still a thing we don't I don't know if we really know whether or not AD can just score time after time on the block against a smaller defender that first game toward the end of the game the lakers had uh ad out there and mcgee and tucker was on mcgee covington was covering ad and covington looked like a small person next to him but he was still pushing him around it was kind of surprising to see he was moving ad off the spots ad wanted to be in and i was surprised to see it so Maybe yeah. I think you I think you can push AD off your off his spot, but I will say, the Lakers did this at for stretches in that game. The way I think teams will be able to exploit the Rockets' lack of size might not be with post ups, but with the lob game. And the yeah. Lakers they do a lot of lobs. Yeah. Um, and I mean I I just read online the the Nuggets were sort of trying to figure out how to stop the Lakers from doing all their lobs. It, it's killed them in their matchup. Right and. You might be able to push AD around, but you're not getting to 12 feet uh, above the rim if you're P.J. <laughs> right. Tucker. There's nothing you can do about and that. And JaVale, I mean, when I watched that first game of the season against the Clippers, the the first quarter, they just got lob after lob after lob, and you did think it was going to be the season, and the Clippers figured out how to defend it pretty quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. those those opportunities dried up by the second quarter, and I, I didn't see the same sort of game when they played on Christmas. So let's pick up some other pieces of this big trade. 
Capella with the Hawks. He's, you know, he gets back to his pick and roll, uh, bread and butter that gives him some scoring. Um, he looks like a good fit there to, to, to me, the way Trey plays eraser at the rim that they haven't quite had. What are your thoughts on Capella fitting in there with that young core? Yeah, if they want to play fast like the Rockets play, I mean, having Capella there could be really great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great fit as far as um, giving Trey Young another lob partner. So basically, there's going to be someone who can catch lobs and dunk uh, in the game for all 48 minutes for every right. minute that Trey Young's on the floor. Um, so I think it's great in that respect. I think the only downside of it is basically. I don't know what the Rockets thought or how much this factored into their decision, but Capella's had a few like injury issues the past couple years. How serious are those? Do they think he's breaking down? Yada, yada, yada. And I think it's fair to say that though Capella is a better defender than at the five than Collins or anyone else the Hawks had, he's not Rudy Gobert. He's not like at the upper echelon uh, of the five position in the NBA. So I don't think he's going to take their defense from like bottom of the league to top of the league by himself. But Maybe as they the get middle? better... Yeah, yeah. As they get better players around him, I think it'll be huge to have him there. So I think that really the only drawback is is Collins. Like I was getting into this argument uh, with people on Twitter. I was saying that Collins isn't like the perfect fit with Trey Young and right. now with John Collins because he's a his best position is a rim running five on offense. You know, he's really great at that the same way Capella is. But you're probably going to have Capella doing that because Collins is shooting like 35% from three already. So Capella's never going to do that. So C Collins is probably going to be the one pushed to the perimeter, relegated to taking threes. And obviously he can attack the basket. He can attack closeouts. But he's not as good at that as he is at rim running. Um, so I think his development in those areas will be even more important now. Right. So, I mean, I made that quip about the Hawks playing like the Rockets because – I really do see. I don't think it's a quip. I think it's no, true. It's, yeah, what, <laughs> but but I made it to to make a point too, which is that the I do think that I will evaluate this trade in the future um, based on how well Capella plays and is able you know, the kind of opportunities that he opens up for the Hawks. I think that he's going to open up a lot. I think that the I think the Hawk. I mean, the, the Rockets gambled big. I think they gambled um, in. Uh, in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. I think that when you look at the, they basically gambled that you could go, you know, on the buyout market or you could go on minimum contracts and you could pick up a center who could basically do what Capella is doing. Mm -hmm. But the Hawks have been doing that for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And Alex Len and Damian Jones and, you know, even Dwayne Dedman weren't Clint Capella. They didn't mm -hmm. do those things for that team. And, I do expect he's 25 years old. I don't think he's breaking down yet. Yeah. And I do expect that he's going to come there and he's going to open up a vertical game that they haven't had before. And they're going to play fast enough that he doesn't have to be Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Uh, and they're going to score enough points that he doesn't have to be Rudy Gobert. And I think retrospectively, we could look back and say, you know, we, we said, you know, when we first talked about the potential trade of Capella, we were doing it in the context of basically thinking that the Rockets are done. And we may still be looking at, at the end of the season, the Rockets just being done in a mm -hmm. certain way. They made their last move now. This is the last really good contract that they had, a good, you know, solid talent that they could trade and bring something back to help shore up this current 
yeah. you know, build that yeah. they have. Yeah, they traded another first-round pick in this deal. Um, they have all the picks going to uh, OKC from from that trade. So, yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like they're in win-now mode to the extreme. It certainly seems like Daryl Morey is like, oh, I might not be here a year or two from now, so <laughs> yep. send all the first-round picks that we got. I don't care. He might not be there very soon. And, yeah. I mean, it was funny because, you know, we're on the way here, and I want to bring this up because y- – I think we 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 judged on the side of it not really being possible, but we immediately were like Capella on that team, um, and the other moves that they made at the, at the deadline. Are they able to make the playoffs in a very weak Eastern Conference that they're only what six games out right. in? Probably not this year, but that we're even able to ask that question is pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, the East is so weak, and this could be a piece that makes the Hawks look like a real basketball team. And they haven't quite <laughs> in the in the year and a half that Trey Young's been on the team. They've been fun to watch. It's it's great. I love all the young guys, but like a team that could actually win <laughs> and get better going forward, now it seems like they're on the precipice of that. Yeah, I, I think – this is an opportunity. I think they're eight games back now, but this is an opportunity to kind of look at their rebuild, right? Because I feel like they've short-circuited their rebuild basically at every yeah. turn. Uh, they gave up a bunch of picks to move up in the draft to get DeAndre Hunter, um, and one of the picks that they gave up turned into Jackson Hayes, who's looking pretty good. So, you know, maybe you don't need <laughs> to trade for Clint Capella yeah. <laughs> if you have Jackson Hayes. And Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Alexander Walker. But I just, I just mean Alexander-Walker isn't as far along, I think, as Jackson Hayes. It's interesting, though, because when I was looking at the, the new 538 player evaluator, um, he's rated as a very is, – is a good prospect. I think is, is like a you know, great – Hayes or great, Gnaw? Uh, gnaw. <laughs> uh, that was a callback yeah. for you. Yeah. Does anyone say that? Does anyone call him Gnaw? They do because, now. Because they should. Nolans. Nolans and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Gnaw. I think it's the, good. If the marketing department isn't on that already, it's a problem. Someone's but already somebody tweet it. at Griffin. Yeah. Who's got Griffin's tweet? Twi- <laughs> I mean, how do you Twitter say handle. how do you say it though? I mean, just put it in lowercase, I guess. You just say it like we said it. Yeah, but I just mean if you put, <laughs> if you put the all caps there, yeah. then it would just look like That's his initials. That's the marketing and, team. They're gonna make those decisions. Later. And no one pronounces that. I don't yeah. think. I mean, okay. So the the two things I wanted to mention <laughs> was one, like uh, the Hawks short short circuiting their rebuild, and then also, um, so. Seth Partnow of The Athletic has written about this, how the NBA has moved to this heliocentric style of offense where one guy has the ball a ton. He controls the offense. He's the one primarily generating assist. Um, Like I said, huge usage. And you can see that in uh, LeBron James. You can see that in James Harden uh, and Russell Westbrook to a lesser extent because there's two of them. You can see it in Trey Young. Um, You can see it in Luka Doncic. And so if you have a negative view of that that sort of style, basically with anyone outside of LeBron, you're like, this doesn't really win championships. Um, and also, are these teams just like catering to their star player to make their star player look good, to make them get uh, MVPs and all-star awards? I mean, this is the thing we've been accusing the, the Rockets of with James Harden for some years now, where like all the front office cares about is James Harden winning MVPs and putting up scoring rec- records, and they're not 
they're tiring him out by the time the playoffs come around or they're not committed to defense enough or whatever it is. And so I think there's a fine balance to walk there between what's doing what's best for your best player and what's best for the team at large. Um, And so when you said that the Hawks are going to play like the Rockets, I mean, it makes perfect sense. The Hawks basically run high pick and roll every single time down the floor. Um, And like people as tapped in as Zach Lowe have accused Trey Young of occasionally, like I don't think they're saying he's like a bad player or a bad team or anything, but like maybe taking a few extra dribbles or holding the ball a little longer to make sure he gets an assist. Um, And I'm sure you could also say the same thing about James Harden. So, I mean, you, you, you could question, you know, this Capella move obviously goes further in that direction. I don't think it's going to ruin them. I think it's all about how their other pieces develop, you know, Herder, Hunter, Cam Reddish, how those guys develop Collins, then that will support Trey Young. So it's not like he's out there doing it by himself, but I do think there will come a time and probably pretty soon where his usage should taper off a bit is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, Okay. Um, We're going to skip the rest of that four team trade because I think those were the interesting pieces. Let's move on to the Warriors Wolves sticking with the Wolves, Um, which by the way, need to mention Rosas, uh, the president of the Timberwolves, was involved in four trades that involved eight teams and 26 players this se- this season, which is a significant amount of the, the, the trade market. Um, but one of the other very interesting trades, much talked about. Wasn't it that the Timberwolves only have Carl Anthony Towns and Josh Okogie left yep. from last year's right. roster? Right, two players, two players from that. So um, definitely deep, deep into this rebuild. And the other new piece of that rebuild is D'Lo Russell, who, by all accounts, Carl Anthony Towns very much wanted to play with. Um, with Wiggins going to the Warriors, which has been panned wild, wildly and wildly, and widely um, by many Um I kind of like him as the new uh, Harrison Barnes there, and I definitely like uh, Russell in Minnesota as a sort of foundation piece that can ground that team in a way they haven't quite been this year. Thoughts on those that, that trade? My first reaction when I saw uh, Wiggins on the Warriors and imagining him as the second coming of Harrison Barnes was, he's a lot more athletic than Harrison Barnes was. Yeah. And uh, that was it. I mean, who knows if he can really put together the outside shooting or if he can. He was you know, playing D make... the first time I watched him. Yeah. So on the Warriors, it'll it'll be whether he can you know make those split second switch decisions and if he's you know a, a quick passer and good decision maker. And I think the Warriors are betting on it to a certain extent. I mean, I've heard people say, well, this was the only return they could get. And so, you know, they just kind of, you know, fell into it and they're just going to make do with, you know, the best they could get. Right. Even if that's the case, I don't think that they're thinking of it that way. And I think that they are a strong enough organization and they do have um, the culture that could turn him around. And he's got 
still a lot of raw young talent there. He looked committed to playing the way the Warriors want to play, too. And also, like if, the, you the, have, if he moves from a very toxic team situation, yeah. or toxic for him, and it seemed yeah. pretty toxic. I mean, This could be magical. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns <laughs> moping around and you know clearly wanting something to change. And, and Jimmy Wiggins Butler tearing o- people yeah, apart. And Wiggins and, always feeling like he's the the goat, the bad kind of goat um, <laughs> in that situation. You know, I don't know. I mean, this is another one where I'm rooting for him. Yeah. Jalen, you've liked watching the Warriors for quite a few years. How's this look to you? Yeah, I don't know. It feels it feels like an end of it. It feels like the end of an era. Um, I'm scared. I, <laughs> I'm scared. I'm scared for the Warriors. I'm scared, I'm scared for, for Steph Curry. you and the Warriors. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, I've said this before. I, I'm a Warriors fan only because I was a Steph Curry fan, and the fact that he was on an all a historic team that had KD on it and Clay uh, and Draymond Green meant that my fandom was insulated from, <laughs> yeah. you know, from from the outside because they were winning everything. So you know. That that's what it was about for me, but like I, as I said also before, I wasn't, I wasn't sated by the past two years because, um, you know, KD was there and he was winning Finals MVPs instead of Steph Curry, and basically 2016 happened and then KD came and then Steph had a few more injuries and I don't know if we'll ever see 2016 again. Yeah. And I tweeted this from the Shot Tower Pod uh, Twitter account. Like 2016 was a drug. Like it was. It was a different experience. It was yeah. something that, you know, I don't know if I've really ever seen in my time watching the NBA. Um, and so the reason why I'm scared is because it feels like with this Wiggins trade, they're saying that Steph, Clay, Draymond, and the complementary pieces are enough to win a championship again. And I think people are underrating the fact that um, there's a chance that you know, Steph is just not the same guy anymore uh, after all these injuries, after um, all these finals runs. You know, maybe he recovers. He had this season as a break, basically. But, you know, there's a chance that he just doesn't have the same magic. And relying on Wiggins to sort of provide some of that magic himself makes me nervous. Right. Yeah, I would be nervous, too. But like Kyle said, I'm still hopeful for that and that that's going to work out. Um, we've already talked about the the Clippers and Marcus Morris. Um, one of the things we didn't talk about in that trade is uh, one of the things I, was, I think this was on The Athletic, one of the things, I can't remember who the writer was now, sorry about that uh, anonymous writer, <laughs> but um, one of the things that came up in the article was that more than the Clippers wanting Morris, they didn't want the Lakers to get Morris. And that seemed to be a deciding factor in making that trade. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think all season it's been sort of Clippers versus the Lakers, or even dating back to the the summer, uh, sure. the off season when it was they were they yeah. were trying to sign Kawhi. And, and ESPN's been running that storyline yeah, at us forever. Yeah. So, and both I think both PR departments uh, and marketing departments are playing off of it. Like every advertisement the Clippers do is sort of like I don't know like homegrown versus like star driven or something like that. You know, it's, it's all these cliched uh, sort of sayings about how the Clippers are more hard nose and blue collar than the Lakers, which I mean, they sign uh, Kawhi and, and PG. So I don't know how accurate that is, but that's what they're saying. Um, (laughs) And I think, I think it is important that they got Marcus Morris uh, and the Lakers did not because um, as I said 
I think the Clippers are much more versatile than the Lakers. I think they have the better perimeter players. Like you've got Kawhi, who's at least on the same level as LeBron, maybe better considering LeBron's age. Um, you've got PG, who's better than the second best perimeter player on the Lakers for sure. Um, you've got now you've got Marcus Morris. You've got Patrick Beverly. Um, I think their four best perimeter players are better. Basically, I don't know if you want to argue that Danny Green is better than Patrick Beverly. Sure, but like, basically, it's. I think it's clear that the Clippers have more wing, uh, perimeter versatility. Right. Right. Um, okay, we have a couple other trades to get to before we go today. One I want to discuss at least briefly is the Pistons sending Andre Drummond to the Cavs for expiring contracts and a second round pick. It was a sad, sad way for Andre Drummond to leave the only professional NBA team he's played for. They did not want him picking up next year's player option. The Cavaliers were happy to absorb it. Kyle, do you have Detroit Pistons feelings? I mean, I've got a lot of feelings. Um, seeing seeing what the Pistons might have in Christian Wood and the type of floor spacing big that he is, you get the sense of maybe why they really didn't want Drummond to pick up his contract. Right. I felt for the guy though when he yeah. when he posts on Twitter yeah. shocked at the the trade that he hasn't been notified at all. He had to know in a certain way, I would think, unless he really, you know, wasn't looking out there at all and wasn't watching the news because well, there had been talk that they were shopping him and that that their, you know, asking price in return had gotten down to second round picks. And right. so you knew that they wanted to make a deal. Um, I can get it in a certain way because even I didn't really, I didn't see it coming. I, it was like at a certain point you just felt like, oh, the mar the market's bare. They're well, going to just run with him for one dead. more year. It was completely dead by all yeah. accounts. And this was a la and 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 the Pistons organization, the front office explanation was something along the lines of, well. This came in last minute. The Cavs came in at the last minute and did this. Um, I, I think that was two uh, buddy owners, uh, you, know, you know, getting together and and one helping the other out here. Um, that seems to be the subtext of some of this. Um, yeah, I didn't re I didn't hear that part. I mean, it makes yeah. some sense, you know. Um, yeah, Dan Gilbert has deep connections to Detroit and. Right. Uh, so, I mean, that, that doesn't really surprise me. But, I mean, it works on the court as well for the Pistons. And, you and know, for the Cavs, we, possibly. We've, we've they been hoping that big lineup. We've been hoping to see potentially what they might have in Sekou Dumbuya and um, Thon McCur. Um, who's and played well who's since. Who's played very well. Um, and I, I expect to talk about him a little bit in, you know, our, our fantasy segment later. Um, and... The, the type of game that they open up for the Pistons is very modern NBA, and I'm interested in it. Um, you know, it, it looks a lot like what Dwayne Casey did in Toronto. I mean, it's not quite the same talent level that they were working at, but it also we could think way further back, you know, to the sort of beginning stages of when they started to turn, um, you know, that franchise into a contender. Right, right. Yeah, I mean... 
I don't know. I feel like the Pistons traded Andre Drummond for an imaginary bag of cash. Like, they traded him <laughs> for the lowest possible thing, which Zach Lowe pointed this out. They waited too long. They should have traded him last year when he right. had more value, which is certainly true. But also along those lines, uh, the Pistons didn't trade, like, any of their other young players. There was a deal for Kennard on the table, which I'm not saying they should be trading Kennard because he's pretty good. But if they are in true tear it down mode, then Kennard right. uh, probably has the most value outside of Derrick Rose. Um, yep. It seemed like they had decided they wanted a first round pick for Derrick Rose, which I think is fair. But, you know, Philly also has like three really good second round picks or multiple second round picks they could have put on the table. They gave the Warriors like their worst second round picks, but they have I think maybe they have like a Hawks second round pick or something, which is obviously right. basically a first round pick. They have other, I think, uh, really good second round picks that they could have packaged to get Rose. That didn't happen. Um, you know, you look at people like Langston Galloway, Sfee McKaylook, Thon McCurr, um, just like, could they trade any of these guys for second round picks? I mean, that was a part of the yeah. the hinky rebuild was just grabbing all yeah. of the second round picks you possibly could and then packaging those in other deals for first round picks or for players or whatever it was. So yeah for, yeah, for as bad as they are, I think it's easy to forget, though, that they're an expensive team. And right. when you said one owner helping out another, that that that's why it did make sense to me yeah. to a certain extent that um Who else I mean, they're in luxury an tax extra 30 million it, exactly <laughs> you know, it's another really rich guy um, yeah i mean also just stefanski came out and said we could have gotten second round picks maybe in the 40s but what name can i put to that Right. Whether or not that's a sound strategy, which I think you'd probably say it isn't, you definitely shouldn't come out and say that. Like, why does it matter what name you can put to it? You, the name is you need to build this team up from the bottom. It's and, both bad and expensive. You need yeah. all of the assets you can get. And there are names they can put to second-round picks that already exist on their roster. Bruce Brown? Yeah. Second-round pick. He played a lot of minutes. And apparently they still have some hope from Thomas if he get, if he recovers from those injuries, who was a second-round pick last year, too. So, I mean, it's about those opportunities to some extent, even though they've been devalued a bit over the last year-plus in the trade market. Um, yeah, so it, 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 the, the Pistons could be better managed, but they're better managed than they used to be. Yeah. And I'm okay with that for now. <laughs> and I think for as little as they got for Drummond, I think they made the right call. Yeah, they had to, they had to move on from that. Um, okay, one of the other uh, trades since we, we uh, Jalen, you just mentioned it. The Sixers get Glenn Robinson the third and Alec Burks for three seconds, I think it was, from Philly. Yeah. Um, and they apparently weren't the good ones. Um, nope. Doesn't change the Warriors season much. Uh, it gives the Sixers some depth. It makes a few guys who were playing, like Thibault, less likely to play. Um, Although, watching so far, they still, Thibault's the first person off the, well, not today, he's not the first person off the bench because they um, they started Korkmaz and put Horford on the bench. But, um, uh, okay. but I was just yeah. watching it earlier, and Thibault was was, you know, he was in, you know, the first rotation right. into the game. Right. So, yeah, yeah it, I mean, I don't think they fully figured that out. They're still bringing Richardson back from his injury. They're scaling his minutes back up. Um, Korkmaz has been playing out of his Lights head. out. He's been shooting like <laughs> 75% and, from the field. And, yeah, they've got two other wings who can shoot now. Um, 
it's not clear how it'll fit together, especially since uh, one of the articles I've seen recently, the Sixers, their, their, their great duo, Simmons and Embiid, do you see their net rating when they're on the court this year? It's plus 1.1. Two yeah. years ago, it was plus 15-something, I think. Yeah, I think now it's, it's plus 1.1. It's not good. It's been de- it's declined each each <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, each season, right? Um, yeah, I mean, if we're talking is about the Redick, a big part of that. I mean, I wonder if the lack of it's a yeah, steady decline possible. from two seasons ago to last season to now. It was yeah. sort of fifteen, then it was I want to say seven, and now it's one. Yeah, so I mean, I think at, at this point, mentioning the Sixers, we have to mention the fact that the hullabaloo or whatever was going on on Instagram where. Jimmy oh. Butler was saying, <laughs> I know we're a place where, like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't remember the exact quote, but basically, like, villains or people who have this dog, uh, quote-unquote dog attitude can come to play, suggesting, you know, come to Miami and play, which I don't think is going to happen. But right. it's like, Embiid responded in kind to it. You know, he responded yeah. kindly, positively to those sort of suggestions, which is obviously not good since he's no. under contract with the Sixers and he's supposed to be trying to win a championship with the Sixers. So... The, the Sixers have some problems right now. Yeah, there's something complicated going on there. I'm in the minority, but if I – and I'm a big Sixers fan, and if they had to only keep one, to me it's Ben Simmons. I don't think you're in the minority. I, 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 I'm, with, I'm with you on this. Having seen him beat out and Simmons leading that team for that stretch, he looked fantastic, and he had a whole different attitude that he doesn't have when Embiid is on the floor. Yeah, which which I don't mean to say that the majority of people would agree with you. I think, but I think the way it works is that Embiid is better than Simmons, but he's also more injury prone. So if he's better, you could probably get more for him. If he's if he's injury prone, then you know you want to get off that right. potential sure. uh, downside sooner. It'll be every season. Yeah. All right. One last big trade to talk about. Miami gets Iggy Crowder and Solomon Hill. The Grizz. Somehow took on Dion Waiters, though he's been released. Uh, they get Winslow in that. Love him for that young core. And they got James Johnson. Um, Jalen, are you any happier about the Heat? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm glad they got Iggy and Crowder. I didn't expect Crowder to shoot the ball as well as he has. He's been playing really well. I think Iggy will be an underrated asset for them. Uh, people are saying he can't shoot, yada, yada, yada. But I just think his... His intelligence, his feel for the game, both offensively and defensively, are going to work wonders. Like Because I do think there will come a time where someone like Kendrick Nunn gets a little bit exposed. He's struggling right now. He's coming back from injury. But like uh, I think he'll be exposed more so in terms of like his defensive issues and also just the feel for the game, the ability to make quick decisions and like maintain an advantage when you get one on the offensive side of the ball in the playoffs. So, right. I mean, I watched, I watched the game last night. Iggy made a wonderful pass to the corner. Um, he's just he's just gonna do these these like classic Iggy things. Yeah, I love the old man basketball game he's gonna bring to them, and just you know he'll be coaching everybody up on the floor on the fly, and yeah, I I, I like him a lot there. Jay Crowder hasn't been shooting very well, but I still like that pickup for them too. I mean, I think that in a league where you need wings and you need wings who can play, you know, between the the three and the four. Um, He's a he's a really solid playoff piece for them. Not scoring a ton, but he's going to play good defense. He's going to get rebounds. He's going to get you a steal. Uh, I like him as just a that that sort of defensive dog piece that they the Miami Heat have always loved <laughs> in their lineups. 
All right, that is the trade deadline from the Shot Tower Pod. We are turning off the phantom power. Cheers. <laughs>